You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. Even if people don't remember these things uh, themselves, ourselves, uh, for a lot of pop culture and for a lot of devoutly traditional religious people, Sabbath keeping (laughs) is pretty much one more thing you've got to be careful about not screwing up, not making God angry about. But in the Bible, from the hand and the mind and the viewpoint of God, Sabbath keeping as a commandment is not at all about locking people down. It is about freedom, about real freedom. It undermines exploitation. It undermines self-deception. It undermines exhaustion. It even undermines fear. Jesus says it best, of course. (laughs) Uh, When some Sabbath authoritarians see his disciples picking grain to eat out of a field that they're walking through, technically doing work, And Jesus gives those uh, authorities a history lesson about King David and how God provides holy bread when it is needed. And then he undermines the whole scorekeeping kind of Sabbath that they envision and says the Sabbath was created for humans. Humans weren't created for the Sabbath. What is this if it's for us? God's gifts, God's real gifts are not for show. They are for us and our salvation. They're for transformation and healing and liberation from the things that poison and bind us. And Sabbath is the antidote to scarcity, which surely has a deep hold on us and on our culture. Sabbath wasn't invented in the Ten Commandments, uh, delivered to Moses and the people as some new idea. Uh, Even the commandment itself has this business about pointing out that in the story of creation, God takes a breather takes a Sabbath after sparking and shaping the whole universe into being. Later on, the people claimed and were denied Sabbath rest when they were enslaved in Egypt. And when the people were wandering through the wilderness, living on the manna that God provided every day, the daily bread that condensed out of the dew, there was enough for everyone. Enough. No scarcity here. Not some stingy portion. Perfectly, satisfyingly, miraculously enough to gather up every day plenty to fill your plate. Except on the Sabbath. Because the day before the Sabbath, there was two times enough. So that one day a week was rest. A gift. Chance to sleep late. (laughs) Even from the pure gift of food that appears out of nowhere... God gave even more of a gift of at least once a week not needing to go up, get up and go out and gather it for yourself. What if there were actually enough? Enough that you could rest and not just sink down into the couch exhausted. What if there were enough that you could share without worrying and counting the cost? Enough that you could put your shoulders down breathe deep. This is Sabbath, and it's wildly counter to pretty much everything that I think any of us have heard all week up till this point. Our economic system, our social lives, heck, even our family lives and a lot of our personal ponderings are built on not enoughness. 
It's even crept into faith life. Have you heard the saying, pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you? Now, I, I get what people are going for in that. But that's actually scarcity, baked right in. I hear that as buckle down, get it right, hold it together scarcity in our collective imagination about what it is that God does and who God is. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament Hebrew Bible professor and kind of a ferociously brilliant old man. Uh, at one prominent conference of leaders, I'm told that he started his keynote address one year by eyeing everyone in the auditorium, and Walter Brueggemann is terrifying, <laughs> and saying, almost nobody really thinks that God is an active character in their lives. He went on to say, plenty of people believe in God, and plenty don't, but across us all, way too many of us modern people have an incredibly hard time seeing God as more than kind of a background player, at most encouraging, or watching, or knowing. Some have called it a functional atheism, where we might talk about God, but we in no way expect, or notice, or maybe even want to God to act. Some people take it way far the other way, of course, uh, and are really vocal about how they're quite certain that God directs every step of their way. But Professor Brueggemann side-eyes those people, too, and notes that the Bible and our own experience show us that people have choices, good and bad, and God lets us make them. But God does act. God is active. God provides. God moves among us and in us at this table and in this space and in so many other spaces. And when we can get ourselves out of the way enough to notice it, to listen for it, it's amazing. It is hopeful. It is good news. Amen? Amen? I imagine that a lot of us are here because we have caught a glimpse of that activity. We have seen its goodness. Or we have heard somebody else tell us and it sounded good. But getting out of the way in order to receive that freedom and notice that goodness, experience and share and multiply that love, getting out of the way doesn't happen automatically. Because pretty quick, the scramble... The hustle, the gnawing fear of not enough will drown it out and cloud it over. And so Sabbath, God's gift, the carve out intentionally for rest and beauty and enough, enough to share, stories to tell, laughter, peace, neighborliness. But as good and healing and holy as that personal Sabbath is, it also points beyond us as just individual persons. Sabbath is for us as a people. Sabbath is the antidote, and not nearly all of our poison is personal. The best book that I read last year, well, the best book I read is actually a mystery series about an Episcopal priest who solves murders, but <laughs> I will digress. But the most transformative book that I read last year was Catherine Tanner's Christianity and the New Spirit of Capitalism. It is not splashy. There is no plot. I expected to endure it, not enjoy it, and I do not recommend it for your pool reading. <laughs> but it convicted me. Tanner describes our whole economic system of global finance capitalism and how Christianity is different. Global finance capitalism is not the classic kind that we tell stories about and read about in Econ 101, where effort is matched with reward and the market keeps things moving. 
She describes the kind that we have, where maximum productivity is demanded, where workers get used and discarded en masse in the name of efficiency, and where the whole thing pushes money further and further toward the top and keeps us all on the treadmill just a little faster every day. For a lot of people around the world, it is not real different than ancient Pharaoh's command to make bricks without straw. Our human systems are in need of a break, even if it's just to notice what's wrong. Uh, the system itself knows about the power of a break. Uh, some workplaces, you may, you may work in some of these. Uh, it's a requirement that people take at least a week off at a time, maybe two weeks off at a time each year. And while I would love to tell you that that's about care for people and promoting rest and all that beauty and neighborliness, it's so that fraud will be interrupted. If someone's embezzling money or cooking the books, if they go away for a week, it'll get noticed more, more likely. It interrupts corruption. Sabbath practices interrupt what's broken for us as God's people. Even at the personal level, setting down our devices for several hours in a row, maybe even a day. <laughs> it interrupts the algorithm. Yeah. Stepping away from buying things once a week or having a jubilee month. And interrupts our insatiable consumption. Worshiping God interrupts our functional atheism and carves out space for beauty and for relationship, and for enough. Juneteenth, as Alan led us to consider and to ponder the newest national holiday in the United States today. A lot of us have the day off tomorrow from work to commemorate the end of one side of legal human enslavement of black Americans. Mass incarceration is another side. It's not a new holiday, though. This image, oh, we had a, do we have an image? Okay, fantastic. This image is from 1900, when Juneteenth had been celebrated for 35 years already. Under American enslavement, Sabbath rest, likely just that half day on Sundays, because that's when the holiness runs out, was the smallest interruption to that system of exploitation, and God seized it to remind enslaved people of their humanity. Any holy interruption to grinding, relentless production is an inbreaking of God's spirit. Even when those Sabbath practices were tightly controlled by enslavers, God's gifts of rest and song and relationship and care bubbled right up in the lives of the enslaved and sustained them for hundreds of years toward freedom. I keep seeing major retailers struggling with what to do with Juneteenth. <laughs> How do you have a Juneteenth Day sale? There have been some tone deaf and downright racist attempts for commercialization because it is a holiday that interrupts the system. You can't really sell Juneteenth. You just have to remember something utterly transformative and literally freeing that's twinned up right against something horrendous. The holiday interrupts what author Ralph Ellison, all the way back in the 50s, called the feigned moral blindness of most American whites. Because if there's a holiday to commemorate the end of enslavement, then we as a whole people have got to acknowledge that there was enslavement 
and it had and still has effects that need reckoning. We can get real comfortable with moral blindness, just not notice historical or contemporary exploitation. Rabbi Jim Morgan at uh, Hebrew College talks about that false comfort, and he points out that the Bible is aware of this danger, most notably in the repeated injunction to the Hebrew people's descendants not to forget that they were slaves in, to Pharaoh in Egypt, and that that's the basis for pursuing justice for the stranger, the widow, the orphan. In the version of the Ten Commandments that's in Deuteronomy, recorded much later than the version from Exodus, Crystal read, the Sabbath commandment is different. It doesn't talk about God resting on the seventh day and say, so we should too. It says no one in your household, not your servants, not workers in your community should have to work on the Sabbath because remember that you were a slave in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That's why the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. God is active. God will do it. So friends, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Not to buckle down and earn a gold star from God. Not to take a spa day. But to regularly practice being a little more free of the things that hold you. Let yourselves and your households and your neighborhoods be interrupted from the daily grind. Sabbath isn't a day off to make you more productive, the other six. It's an interruption to make you and all of us together more human, more ourselves, more connected to God. Sofa time? Maybe. That's where some good stories and some good care and some good imagination can take place but also a walk in the woods, time with a friend, worship and prayer, a blessed table to share. Sabbath is God's gift to us, set apart time for being who we are meant to be, not just resting the machinery to crank it up again next week. I invite you to take a deep breath in and release. This is holy space. This is holy time. You are, we are valued and loved not for what we produce. God provides. And God provides a Sabbath. May it be so for us.